think it's all over. It is now. The Bernadette, though, you can't excuse that. Sudan's career ends in disgrace. So it's Shabalala. for Fabregas, now it's Iniesta, this is it, that's the goal! By Kinsler, Quinn heads on, oh surely this time for Keane, and Ireland do it, Robbie Keane! Dennis Bergkamp, Dennis Bergkamp, Dennis Bergkamp, let the ball in, Dennis Bergkamp, Dennis Bergkamp, Dennis Bergkamp, Dennis Bergkamp, Dennis Bergkamp, Again here, Kadira, Ozil, Kadira, 5-0, 5-0, absolute humiliation. Hello and welcome to the Total Football Podcast World Cup 2018 coverage. I'm Declan Hare and joining me is Andrew Conway. Hello. We've now seen all bare four teams play at this tournament, but why has nobody been sent off? At this point I want to say it's good officiating, because... In in fairness to this World Cup, I I don't think I've had any real problems with any real decisions that have been made. The only one that actually comes to mind at all, well, there's two, but the one is fresh in my mind is today. Kevin De Bruyne did a Nigel De Jong in against Panama, where he kicked through a player and made contact with his chest, and he did get booked for it. But I, I know totally th- missed this. When did yeah. this happen? Today, when he's like playing. A, a what point? Part of the match. Oh, it was late on. I think it was after the 80th minute, I think. It oh, was, I completely Belgium were attacking. This. Like You see, it wasn't the case that... It wasn't the case where it was like, this is clearly a defensive player trying to get a one-up on a striker and taking them out of the game. It was purely De Bruyne had his foot high and he followed through and he made connection with the Panamanian player, whose name escapes me. And I, I watched rest, this match yeah. and I do not remember this at all. Check back and look up Kevin De Bruyne's booking, if you if you will, well, and you will I, see him. I, I believe you anyway. Yeah. He was very angry at the whole situation. I was surprised as well. He's like, you don't really have a leg to stand on here. You did follow through and properly. No, because it's propped in your man's chest. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one thing. The only other decision then was uh, Serbia and Costa Rica very late on in the match when Costa Rica were chasing a uh, chasing a winner or chasing an equalizer rather. And uh, Serbian player, uh, I think it was Mitrovic, or maybe it was another attacking player for Serbia, stuck out his hand and caught a Costa Rican in the face, and it was only his fingertips. But it actually went to VAR, and the ref reviewed it and said, okay, he kind of got him with his fingers, I'll give him a yellow card for being reckless. But it wasn't malice in it, there wasn't any actual physical harm done, really. So yellow card was deemed right, and I thought that was an excellent use of VAR in itself. Yeah, uh, we'll get into bar later, but it's just going back to why no one's been set off. Like, I think it is good officiating, but also I just we've seen everything else. I just I just want to see a red card. <laughs> no, I suppose it's a noble thing that we have. We have, have we seen our own goal? We have seen own goals. For the yeah, first we've day. seen yeah the Morocco. We've seen I think pretty much everything at this point. Bar a red uh, card. Uh, yeah, 
Like, we even saw a goalkeeper substitution. Yeah, due to, due to injury, in fairness. We also also saw like, two in one match. Yeah, it looked like it for a while. And that match was England-Tunisia, and, uh, you know, we'll move into that now, because it took a 91st-minute winner from Harry Kane, but England did manage the three points against Tunisia. It's the first yeah. time they've scored twice in a World Cup match since 2006. That is a really appalling statistic. But it really is. Considering the amount of games they've been in since then, like, well... Is it six. only six matches? Yeah, seven, seven, seven. now. Um, yeah, there are eight now. I was impressed by England, and we had all the hoo ha around them coming into the tournament. That the camp was right; they were doing everything right. There was um, the media was being treated very well, and then was treating the English team very well. As a result, they were getting up and amongst. There was uh, Delhi Ali playing darts with the journalists. There were interviews for all the players. There was how well received Danny Rose's depression. Uh, was amongst the media and things are like oh maybe England are finally changing and then you kind of saw creep in the last couple of days that they were getting cocky again and you know we're going to win this and you know Luke uh, not Luke Vardy Jamie Vardy saying you know we're here to win this tournament and blah 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 and then the match started today and it's such a weird concept though the media because like they it's like the further away they set low expectations the more time it gives them to start raising expectations yeah, it's as if they're starting earlier so they can raise them back up right before the right in the eve of the tournament, putting huge pressure on Gareth Southgate. Like there was they're already, you know, I know it's Twitter, but there was like reactions to the match as it was going on that oh this is the same old England. And it was. There was but very It wasn't re- though. It, it, well, it wasn't though. Because well, like the first 20 started, minutes, what, yeah, come on. The the first 20 minutes they started they actually remind me of Brazil. Because, which is a weird thing to say about England because yes. Brazil started off very energetically they started off very exciting they looked like they were the best team in the competition but then after they scored they just completely switched off and let the other team back in the game and that's exactly what England have done I don't like I, I agree with you to a point when I was watching that I was like England look very good they're on they're in this game Raheem Sterling's getting good runs off of Jesse Lingard's joining in the attacks uh, uh, Harry Kane looks to be you know ready to pounce on a mistake all of those sure. factors yeah all of those factors led into it in the first 10-15 minutes the goalkeeper who's had to come off as a substitute whose name escapes me right now he was excellent in the first 15 minutes he made a fantastic save leading into the Harry Kane's goal which was just you know a rebound I, I, tapping I, I thought he actually could have done a bit better but again it was if you watch really it, harsh to yeah if you watch it again he actually that. did very well to even stretch to get that and that was after he had injured his shoulder yeah so he he I did think, stretch to trying and it was good contact he made like because if he hadn't hit that contact there's chances there it could have been akin to one of who uh, uh, there's been a couple of goals in this World Cup where the ball seems to be lighter. There hasn't been complaints, but this ball does seem to be lighter than a lot of goalies are useful used to. Because there's been a couple of goals where the where the goalie has palmed the ball, and it's still not been enough to keep the keep it out of the net. If you know what I mean? Yeah, it's as if like, there's sure, look at the hair. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the hair was different to be to be fair, but. Yeah, Nacho's goal and the Spanish match going the other way was similar to where the ball just kind of kept on traveling, even though you know the fingertips weren't enough to 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 redirect the football elsewhere. It seems to be lighter but carry more weight, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, like there's more power behind it. So, but what I wanted to say as, as we were going on is actually, I as the match went on, I came to realize that maybe it wasn't England were so good in the first fifteen twenty minutes. 
it was more Tunisia seemed nervous because early on I was like, oh no, they're losing the ball, they're kicking it away, they're dropping it very quickly. You know, a team that was, it looked like a team that was really bad quality that had just made it to the World Cup. But then as the match grew, they were clearly very skillful players. They were doing nice little one-twos. They were holding on to the ball. They weren't always booting it long. They were making nice little intricate triangles, getting the ball out of play. That maybe after the goal went in, the goalie changed, a bit more experience got behind the back four, and they were like, okay, lads, we are actually good enough. We've qualified for the World Cup. We are one of the best teams in Africa. Let's show them what we have. And they became but a I, lot more I, controlled. And I think that's when I England know, started that to suffer. Case, because they let England, like, they played. In, that was their game plan. Their game plan was never to hold on to the ball. Like you can say, oh, England had all the chances in the world, but that was Tunisia's game plan. Is like these guys aren't good enough to score against us, and you know, bar two very fortunate rebounds, effectively like one off Harry Maguire very late on in the match, off a you know a corner that was barely a corner, and then early on the Harry Kane just happened to be in the right place for a rebound from the keeper save. England would have you know at least been in trouble in that match and could have even lost it. But Tunisia, like, I, I don't think Tunisia were anyway good though, but like they never Why looked not? like actually scoring and they were very fortunate, like I think it was a penalty, but like they were fortunate that like Kyle Walker had such a moment of stupidity that let them into the game. But like, they, well, they weren't offered fortunate. nothing. That, they didn't offer nothing. They offered what their game plan was. Their game plan wasn't to go out there, play attacking football and beat the English. Their game plan was to frustrate things, was to draw the English in and for them to make mistakes, which England duly supplied them with. They were happy with the draw. They were happy with one all. It was the 92nd minute and it was a, you know, a fortuitous, very lucky goal from a set piece that got England the win. Otherwise, Tunisia would have been happy out and they would have achieved their goal for the match. They but didn't the gap, offer the gap, in, the gap between England scoring and half time, like Tunisia never, like never threatened. It was just the fact that they got a fortuitous penalty. That uh, they, they did threaten. There was a the couple game. of chances there. The deflected shot, I think, off McGuire that just went wide and Pickford threw himself across uh, the that goal. Went, that went a fair bit. Wide. Yeah, but it was deflected wide. I don't think it was going to go in though. Yeah, but it was deflected. They had chances. England created I don't, I don't nothing think after they that did, goal. Though. But England created nothing after that goal. They had. Before the goal went in, they had the Raheem Sterling missing an open call, which I, you know, hasn't been spoken about yet. Which I think that that did that was called offside as well, which is it wasn't called think. offside because he played it backwards. It was where the referee, or is when the goalie actually got uh, injured. The first one where he went down. Yeah, that that was called offside. But the ball went backwards. How could it be offside? No, because the ball to whoever passed it to Sterling to Jesse Lingard. I I don't think that was offside. No, it was called offside. I well, don't know if it actually was or not, but it was called offside. He missed it anyway. He couldn't get his feet out of it. And there was a couple of other chances like that early on. But then after that, England kind of just dropped into themselves. Tunisia became more on the ball. As I said, they became more confident, and they were like, "Okay, we are going to be okay." And they didn't deviate from their game plan. Their game plan was still to frustrate England, and England just granted them an opening that they duly took with the penalty. It was a good penalty as well, right into the right into the corner. Another shot that was like what we said earlier where uh, Jordan Pickford did get a hand to the ball for the, the penalty. He did very well to get to a hand to it, but it was still it wasn't enough to deflect the ball away from the goal. It still just went through. Um, but after that, that's they had their point. They had exactly where they wanted to be. And from there, it was frustrating England. And that was what they wanted to do. And that's international football. It's not always... The best, i.e., the more attacking team that wins a football match. We we've seen that all weekend long. Yeah, like I think 
England lacked someone that could, uh, that, that creative spark that could just break through events. Like they had creative players, but not in the way that when a team sits back and defends, that they can unlock the defense. It's more of a this is a good counterattacking side, and they have creative minds there that can link up together very well. Yes. But when Tunis- like Tunisia just sat back and England did not really have any idea of how to break through. Yeah, and they they did get fortunate fortunate with the goal. To win. Most definitely, because they weren't creating like they really like the re- the ref. I keep saying ref instead of goalkeeper. The goalkeeper created a couple, or the goalkeeper made a couple of good saves and good ca- attempts. You know, to and there was a good defending in there as well, blocking the English off there. They, I remember the the Tunisians had a very good system of blocking off the quick players for England. They let Jordan Henderson have the ball all he wanted. They let. Um, Name another slow English player there that's playing. They let Tr- Kieran Trippier have the ball over and over. Harry Maguire. Harry, Harry Maguire as well. But Kieran Trippier had the ball six times. He did take a free kick as well. But he create or he he didn't have the ball six times. He created six chances, which was the same as the rest of England t- in team. And people say, oh, that's great for Kieran Trippier. He's getting into the game. I don't think that at all. I think that was the strategy. Is that they saw Ashley Young as a as a greater attacking threat. So they kind of they kind of force England to play the ball out to the right hand side, where they had less threat. Where Harry Kane actually started the match as well on the more right hand side of the attack, which is where he got his first goal. Um, and as a result of that, there weren't balls coming in across to where Harry Kane would have been the left hand side, which is where he switched in the, in the second half. So they let Trippier have the ball and let him do something with it. And time and time again, he didn't produce anything. He they kind of. Um, I was watching the match uh, with RT commentary, and it had Ronnie. Uh, I've uh, Ronnie. Ronnie Whelan. Ronnie Whelan. I was going to call him Ronnie Delaney. Ronnie Whelan, who made a very good point that the English attacking players seem to be a lot of runners who were running into space. Where you know, in the Premier League match, there would be players playing them the ball, but in this, they have the ball at their feet, so they're running into space where nobody is and where there's nobody to offload the ball to. So they're just running into dead end time and time again. And the amount of times we saw it, especially as the second half dragged on, on the right-hand side when you had Kieran Trippier or even Loftus-Cheek when he came on and just ran into the the right-hand side near the and tried to get into the box and tried to force a foul. Because it, it is something that I've noticed at the World Cup already. There's a lot of players breaking into the box and then stopping. And when, like, come on, foul me, foul me, foul me. Which is why we've seen so many penalties already. Because a lot of players just can't cope with that. And that was what England's strategy or tactic seemed to be at the time, was to get into the box and then I don't know what to do. Like the only time I remember our cutback was, uh, was it Loftus-Cheek that cut it back and yeah. Lingard called for it, leaving Rashford, who probably would have scored because he's a better finisher than Lingard in fairness. And he was and, in a better position. And he was in a better position. He let the ball go and you could see him as soon as he let the ball go, he saw Lingard behind him not being in a good position and just like swore him out of it. For calling it away from him, yeah, that that was a that was an odd moment, especially because you would think Rashford would just ignore it anyway, because you know that's, you, you'd that's back the experience yourself, but, thing. That's the experience yeah, thing. Exactly, he's, he's a junior member of this squad. He doesn't have that. If that's Harry Kane, Harry Kane's taking the shot. Oh Even yeah, though Harry Kane's long. only three years older than him, you know Harry Kane's taking that shot every time. Or you know. Who else is in that team that would you know? There is no one with a huge yeah, there experience really, in that there team. There isn't really. Like Jordan Henderson was getting awful angry during that match. I think the, the he does that a lot. He does, but the problem with this English side is they don't have that experience, and he's one meant to be one of those experienced heads because he they has could have played Gary Cahill. 
instead I, of like Harry Maguire or no yeah. no I, I disagree with that because what or whatever, John Stones whatever but John Stones did fine of, of the of the three defenders I think he performed yeah, but you don't need John Stones against Tunisia you, but you do there's no bad teams in this World Cup like Tunisia are uh, a solid team they were nothing. technically very good they had a good team ethos going the manager had them well drilled everyone knew their position everyone knew their role there was no little fighting there was no little like as I said Jordan Henderson shouting at people or getting cross or getting vexed or getting wound up and we had that today with both Deli Ali and Jordan Henderson and Raheem Sterling all at different times today getting very angry visibly angry and it's like you're losing your cool and if you lose your cool you're no help to anybody and they did that several times today and yeah, that's kind of a classic tra- classic trade in England as well. Is when something goes against them, they tend to get impatient, they get frustrated, yeah. and that's their downfall. Petulance, it's terrible. And the Tunisians, that was part of their game plan. Like, clearly going into this, you know there's players who can wind up in this team. You have Jordan Henderson, who was getting very angry. As you said, he's got a, he's got a better reputation for it. You have Deli Ali, who was well-known for lashing out when he's frustrated. And while he didn't do that today, he was completely not in the match at all. Because he has promised to not get sent off, so we well, have to take that, him at his word there. That's good for him. And then even, as I said, Raheem <laughs> Sterling and Mark, like Marcus Rashford showing that... You know, it's some would say it's passion and emotion, but at the same time, he's screaming at his teammates. You know, during the first match, and he called it. It was a legitimate thing to do. It's teamwork. You know, it's it's frustrating, but don't get that angry at your teammate. And because you saw Tunisia had similar things where they were, you know, and who were they were playing the few chances they had breaking forward, and a couple of them were wasted with players just taking long range shots and stuff like that rather than passing it in. And you see players getting oh, you know, clapping their hands or getting frustrated and moving back into their position, while the English were just oh, getting really angry and like trudging back to the halfway line. You like, I think that there was a huge amount of pressure on England today, and they barely scraped through you saw if you saw the celebration of Gareth Southgate and his staff Gareth Southgate nearly collapsed a couple of his assistant coaches when England scored that winning goal he jumped right on top of them in his little waistcoat and he was going mad with them and it was like it's only like not to say you know the old it's only Spurs but it's only Tunisia yeah, like you, but they have got the three points. Like that's at the end of the day, that's what really matters. Like it is a lesson for them as well. Like they have learned that okay, what they, they, got but, <laughs> they don't no, have they a, the, the the what they have what the main problem it seems as we discussed it a bit there was they don't have creativity. They don't have that spark of ingenuity in their side, and they didn't bring anyone who can bring. Like they, case in point, they brought on Ruben Loftus Cheek. Ruben Loftus Cheek. No offence to the guy. He, he did well. He did well. Yeah, he created a couple of chances down that right-hand side that they I kept think, attacking like, he's And he won that corner that led player. to the goal. But if that's who you're relying on, like what, what, he's not Neymar. He's not... Yeah, I'm, but I'm England don't about have this. a Neymar. Yeah, like, you but can't this say is, that about England either. Yeah, but they don't have that team ethos either. They don't have a, a solid plan either. They don't, you know, for every team you can say, oh, they have Neymar, they like Brazil have Neymar, Argentina have Messi, Portugal have Ronaldo. But, you know, Spain don't have one of those players, but they have a solid system in place, a unit, players that know each other, know how to play, and they all know what they're meant to be doing. England don't yeah, have neither of those two things that would you're lead comparing you to England. You're comparing England to teams that they, you shouldn't be comparing them with. You, you Why shouldn't I be comparing them to, them to Portugal? You, 
You should be comparing them to someone like Croatia or Denmark or they also Egypt and Uruguay. Well, Egypt and Uruguay, I'll leave aside for a moment, but say we take your Denmark and Croatia, they do not have any of the players or any of the system or any of the you know planning that Denmark have. Denmark are a very clear functional team with one star player in, in Christian Eriksen. The team is built around him. So okay, I, think, have, I think England do have a plan. It's just a plan that's not suited for a match against Tunisia, which is What the is problem. the plan then? What is the plan? Their plan is to soak up pressure with the three at the back, to play defensive and cash teams with their pace at the, on the break. I, I and think, you, can't, you can't do that against Tunisia, obviously, but they'll try to do it against Belgium. They're going to get out of the group now because of this three points. They'll beat Panama. That, that should not be a problem. They'll play in the last 16, they'll play a bit more defensive, they won't have as much of the ball, but they'll be more of an attacking threat going forward because there'll be space in behind. I'd, I disagree because... I disagree for a couple of reasons. First, I think the, the core principle of why they're playing three at the back isn't down to the fact that they have pacey wingers because while they do have Raheem Sterling and Lingard and whoever, or Vardy or whoever else you're going to actually end up playing on that left-hand side... No, they're playing three at the back because they're poor defensively. and that helps No, they're not playing the three defense. at the back because they're poor defensively. The, the defense is one of the strongest units they have. Their goalkeeper is very it good. Really he's very good distribution. Uh, John Stones is a, probably a defender that's suited more to international football than he is to the rough and tumble of the Premier League. Harry Maguire is a tackler, first and foremost, and they have him there. And Kyle Walker is there because he runs a lot and because he can cover the space of, three, of an extra player when you're playing three at the back. They're playing three at the back because they have nothing in the centre of midfield. You're, if they didn't play three at the back and played four at the back, they would have to play another centre mid, another core centre midfielder, and that would be able to have to do defensive duties as well as offensive duties. So, i.e., they couldn't play Deli Ali in central midfield in that type of role. They would have to bring on Eric Dyer, which then hamstrings the team even further when it comes to creativity because he is not a creative player; he's a converted centre back. And Jordan Henderson, as we discussed, is not the best player creatively in the world. And if you, ha- if you don't have three at the back, you can't play the wingers the same way, so you sacrifice one of your attacking players as well. So the reason it's more... It's a system change that's down to... Kind of... An, down to an unfortunate player base rather than, a, you know, this is the best way we're going to win. It's down to the fact that we are so bad that we can't play another the traditional system that we may want to play because we don't have the players to play it, or we haven't brought the players that can play that system. But the other thing as well is, like, you, you mentioned all those other teams as well, but, like, you look at Croatia, that's a pretty old side. They've been together for, like, what, eight, eight nine, ten years now. They've yes. played through tournaments together. This England squad is young, and like, this is Gareth Southgate's first tournament. Uh, this is a lot of the players' first, maybe second tournament. It's some, like, yeah. I think a lot of the Tottenham players that do play in the Euros, they, like, they... Uh, the reason they were so poor at the Euros was because of what happened in the league leading up to it. I think they retired. I think they're not. I don't think they have those problems now, and I don't think they'll have those problems going forward. Like this is very much a tournament for building for the future. This is not a tournament where they're expected to win or even get to the semi-final. Like a quarter-final is very good for England at this tournament. Yeah, but I agree. A quarter-final is good for England at this tournament. But to roll back on your, they're building for the future. You don't build. There's. These are once in a lifetime opportunities. Like you look at this England squad, and or any England squad, ten players don't make the night. Only play ever play in one tournament, and they don't go on to any other tournaments. This is their whole life. This is what they've played for. This is what they've dreamt of. You don't play a tournament to maybe get to the quarterfinals 
and build for the next tournament. Maybe that's what the you know the bureaucrats in the FA want to think about, or even Gareth Southgate wants to think about. But as a as a fan of football or as a player of football, that's not why you want to be there. You want to achieve the best you can possibly achieve. Granted, now I've I've criticised the squad selection as it's come because there is clear gap in the squad, and maybe there is nothing to be done about that, or maybe he chose not to bring more creative players because they wanted more a more harmonious squad without the you know whoever else they could pick to bring into the squad that you know wouldn't even been there like the the likes of the old hands that they could have brought back for the sake of having them around the squad or to do something in international. In a, in a one-off international match like, like Wayne Rooney could do potentially although that's I won't get into that or James Milner or Jack Wilshire or any of the other kind of more elder statesmen of English football that were left out for one reason or the other that had more of a kind of creative zest to their play these players have to build the, the England the, these players and the England management setup cannot be thinking about the next tournament they have to be this is the tournament now how can we get the absolute best performance out of our players now so that you know we could build for the next tournament or more likely we can do the best we can in this tournament and playing like they did tonight is not how you do well <laughs> like it's it's not as if this is a new thing because they, they like as you said their their setup is more designed to play against stronger teams and that's why they got better results against Germany and against Spain and against who else, Brazil and who else do they play in the warm-up matches earlier, like Nigeria and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, play, teams with a bit more guy and a bit more creativity, a bit more pace about their play. Like the, the and that system did seem to employ, you know, to have more success with that. But at the same time, the teams they're playing weren't playing in a competitive setting either. So those games are completely misleading. And England didn't actually play all that well in all those matches. They kept solid. They had a solid defensive base, but beyond that, as we said, they didn't create much up front. And that comes back to the core source problem. So to arrest that, maybe you will need to work your team around your greatest strength. And who? what's your greatest strength? What's England's greatest strength, do you think? Is it Harry Kane? Well, it's, it's Harry Kane, yeah. He scored the two goals. So how do you how do you better service Harry Kane? Well, you play the ball into the box more often. Yeah, and then... <laughs> this is a terrible thing to say, but how do you do that then? You play long balls or you play quick balls into the box you get more players behind the ball and get big lads up there to win, you know, to win balls that Harry Kane can put away or for Harry Kane to win balls for the other guys to put away. But another one of their strengths is their speed and like they, the inner, like the, there's a good chemistry there between the front players. Like you could see that in the first 10, 15 minutes, like they linked up very well together. Like they need to, and they have been exploiting that before in the friendlies. Like they, they are trying to play to that strength more so than the strength of Harry Kane. Yeah, but that's because that way. That way, they're not relying on one player. But it's an international tournament. You can rely on one player. No, but it's not like they're trying to build a dynasty. Look at look at Argentina. You can't rely on one player as good as they are. They got to World Cup final with one player. They, they could didn't get win, to it again. They didn't even beat Iceland at the week er, at the weekend. Yeah, but it's it's early days, and it is early days and for this match. That's, yeah, well. that's the point yeah. I was going to make. It is early days. We're still only. Uh, criticizing it after one match like we you know obviously Germany weren't impressive Brazil weren't impressive Argentina haven't been impressive so I don't think we can really be too critical of, Engl- for, of England for not being that impressive because a lot of teams grow into the tournament a lot yeah, of teams yeah. haven't started well you know they still have to play like, they'll play Panama that match should go pretty smoothly and then Belgium will be the real test yeah but you see it's it's such the reason I, you'd be harsher on England, I would say, is because it could be a tight one, but I'd say 
maybe Tunisia are the weakest of all the side, you know, all the teams that played the bigger teams. You know, Tunisia are probably weaker than Mexico. They're probably weaker than Switzerland. They're probably weaker than Iceland. You know, it's 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 a tight one, but maybe they are. And England are in a softer group than any of the other rivals, say the big teams. So this is their test. Like the Belgian, like you said, as you said, they probably beat Panama next time out, or even if they got a draw, it's probably enough to likely see them through to the next round. And then they're playing Belgium when probably both teams are already qualified. And in previous tournaments, I know this will matter because they want to get first place seeding. But a lot of the time, even in previous tournaments, I remember in Euros gone by, you'd have, I remember your 2000, France and Netherlands played in a group match against each other in the third group match of both teams already qualified. And they they quite literally put out the reserve sides, including Yeah, no, that's what I expect them to do. But, I, I think but that will tell you nothing and will not help anything. So this was their big thing before, say, the last 16 clash. This was the test of England. And if this is anything to, sh- to show by it, if they have to face a Colombia or a Poland or whoever else is in that group that I can't think of, Japan and uh, Senegal, Senegal, if they have to play any of those in the last 16, I wouldn't be betting on them. Yeah, no, like I, I expect them to get knocked out in the last 16. I just think that this performance had had moments that you think, okay, this side can play and maybe against the better maybe against the better side they might play better as well. Yeah, but that's a that's a fallacy in itself. Like you can never go and really, oh, if the opponents are better, we play better. You have to beat what's in front of you, regardless of what it is. Just just Yeah, just, you beat them though. Three points, I know, three points. But just It is three points, but as I said, as I explained there, it's the likely, likely it is the weakest group, and they look the weakest of those big teams. Of the biggest teams, I think Belgium were the weakest. They they grew into the matches that went on. No, but they didn't though. I think they, I think Panama just decided we're like, okay, that's the second goal. Yeah, that's it. No, I I I disagree. If we go, if we roll back to the Panama Belgium match earlier on, uh, we don't have to watch it again. I, I, that was <laughs> that was dreadful. Belgium were awful. I'm just gonna like they were so bad. Like but it was, why, abs- I could, I couldn't, I couldn't believe like what was going on. Panama, why? Why like, do you think? Panama, why, what? What was? Why were Belgians so bad? What did you think that? They because were so you bad? say you said earlier there are no bad teams in the tournament, and there are two so far. Well, Saudi I think, Arabia. I think there's one definitely, which is Saudi Arabia and Panama. Panama are one of the weakest sides. I'll grant you that. But I thought they had a bit of they, they had a bit of go about them, for lack of a better term. They tried at times. They were I, they weren't overly rough, which I was ex- wasn't expecting from eh, them. They were a bit rough. They were a bit rough, but they weren't you know El Sal not El Salvador Honduras. I, I, the last I was expecting them to get a red card at some point, and they were lucky not to. As it turned out, Kevin De Bruyne was most likely to get a red card in that match. Yeah, that's just you missed know, it. Turns um, out ten seconds can make a big difference. It, apparently, it can. But that's what I you know I. You know, granted, I thought Panama would be weak enough going into this tournament. They were very fortunate to qualify. They were, you know, playing yeah, very no, qual- well. To qualifying qualify. is their tournament. Like that, yeah, not exactly. Fair enough. You get that every tournament, every tournament. Yeah, but you know, they made it tough for Belgium. I thought, and as we were talking about teams growing change. into the tournament, I think Belgium grew into the match. I think they got to halftime, and obviously Roberto Martinez had a bit of a rethink of stuff, a bit of rejigging of kind of the spatial positions of his players on the pitch. They, you know, a bit more offensive, tried to stretch the play a bit more and they almost got instantaneous results from that little change, little tweak in the play. 
Like, I think their first goal, obviously, Dries Mertens scores an absolutely fantastic yeah. goal, but it's a fantastic goal that breaks the deadlock. It's not a... I don't think it's a tactical switch that breaks the deadlock. No, but it was it was coming from the pressure because they suddenly... Dries Mertens is suddenly further out wide. All the players are further out wide, creating more space for midfielders to come in through the middle. And then it was really just stretching the Panamanian defenders. So a mistake was likely, or not even a mistake, but a breaking ball as it was in the end. Therese Mertens, who pulled a bit off his marker and then, of course, hit an amazing shot to actually score the goal and the Panama goalkeeper could do nothing about it. And from there, kind of, Belgium took over because they had, you know, it was an acknowledged almost they'd won the match and then they started building because they weren't, it's not, it wasn't a performance where, oh, these guys are so much better. Like to say the Russians against Saudi Arabia, where near the end of the match, they kind of just, okay, we're, we are way better in these teams. Let's just keep pumping and let's try and get shots on goal and let's score some goals, which is what they did. This was more, okay, we're better than them now. We've got the goal. We've got the all-important goal. We're a bit more calm and we'll build things. And that's how they got the other two goals, really. They just built things a lot more steadily and scored the goals and they eventually came. And I think it'll help getting that it'll help with those those goals will help the players involved Mertens and Lukaku into becoming better into the team as the tournament goes on I think they will do a better job against Tunisia than they showed against Panama and we'll I see I don't know I think, I think they struggle to break down like a poor Panama defence like once, they only really started breaking it down once Panama decided let's try and actually score a goal otherwise what's the point yeah, and then they left gaps in behind and it was just so like Lukaku's or was it the second goal it was just so easy for him there was yeah. so much pace. Yeah, but they were still good finishes. I think that yeah, all, they were all like three the, goals. I, like they, I they did what they had to do. I thought it was ridiculous that it was the sixty eighth or sixty ninth minute. It took them to actually cross the ball to Lukaku. Yeah, but they're trying to do something else with him. They're trying to play it to feet and play it in behind. They're, but they're just not his strengths. Well, they are his strengths. That's why he was so good at Everton and West Brom. It's just a United this year that they're paying at long ball to him. No, I, I they think used to play defeat. If you remember him scoring that great goal for everything against no, Chelsea yeah, in the FA Cup, that's that's one goal. Like he's got, he, oh, he has did that. Had he did that touch. loads of times for West Brom and Everton for a lesser extent. No, like I think I think his touch has improved over the last twelve months, but I think he's got a poor first touch, and that they should be trying to cross the ball into him more often. I don't know. I don't because I, I don't think the rest of the team suits strength. that style, especially with Mertens there. Well, they've already left out Rajan Angelin because he didn't suit the style. So why not do? Yeah, but get again, rid of Hazard, they, get rid of everyone else. But that again, or get not rid to of get lost, not to get lost in Angelin all over again. It wasn't just for his a slowing down of the play that they got rid of him for. It was also for his you know personal influence on this team and harmony. You know, the harmony of the squad was all important. And you you know, Benteke was left out as well for reasons relating to football, but not wanting to play as a direct game. I, I just I was not I did not I, like I understand you weren't impressed by the Belgians I, I, I'm not going to say go out and say oh they're the best team I've seen in the tournament but I'm not also not going to say that they were terrible they were the they, worst of the big teams I saw you think Belgium were the worst of the big teams you saw yeah including Except how Brazil Germany. circumed Germany like Germany weren't like we'll, we'll wait for Germany we'll, we'll discuss them I suppose and as the show goes on yeah, we can uh, call. Or do you have any more thoughts on England? I, we're, you, I'm disappointed with England. That's that's who all. They, I feel. No, who do they play against Panama? That's going to be my closing question here. Danny Rose will probably come in for Ashley Young to give a bit more width to the game and to actually keep his positioning as a defensive fullback, which 
for some bizarre reason Young kept getting sucked inside on his marker and leaving space in the overlap. Not that Tunisia really, you know, exploited that that risk. Other than that, I think Jamie Vardy getting a game might be interesting against Panama because I think he might get a few goals. I don't think against Panama. I don't think I don't think that would suit England or Vardy against Panama. I think it would, as you just Why, said, because they're, they're resolute defence. And Harry and, and Jamie Vardy, yeah, and Jamie Vardy played the ball over to him, and Jamie Vardy will score. That's how you run. He runs the channels, and if you have a resolute defense that's slow moving, which the Panamanians were, and were hard to play, you know that's why Belgium didn't score for ages. If we were to go back into it, that they were playing balls to feet into the ball, and it was getting crowded out of it. And the whole idea that when Belgium scored is when they push players further out wide and they stretch the play. And that's what Jamie Vardy does. He stretches the play. He runs the channels. No, but Panama are just going to stick nine people in the box and Jamie Vardy's just going to be one. But that's going to stand amongst them and not be able to do But anything. I just said why he wouldn't be like that because that's what's going to happen to Harry Kane. England will, be, England will resort to long-range shots against Panama. Which Harry problem, Kane is better at. Well, he won't be taking them. It'll be the midfields taking them. Harry he Kane can. will be in the he box. He doesn't for Tottenham all the time. Yeah. Uh, and the, like England will score from a long range shot, that's what will win the game for them against Panama. Most I likely, they, I think they'll win three 0 against Panama, just like Belgium. Eh, I wouldn't be as confident for them. Their goal scoring in that. Way. I just, I think they should bring in Marcus Rashford instead of one of was it? Yes, yeah, just bring him in for Sterling. I think better I'd, finisher. I think Sterling had a better game than Lingard. Lingard got a lot more of the ball, but when Sterling had the ball, he looked more dangerous. Yeah, but I think you can bring in Ruben Loftus Cheek for. Lingard or yeah but I wouldn't bring in Rashford Rashford's a centre forward I think personally I think he's wasted when he's played out the wing I think he's just a runner and he's liable to turn into a Danny Welbeck type player you can play him more centrally well I'd play him if you want to do that I would drop I would either change the way you're playing drop to a 4-4-2 with a diamond and have Harry Kane and Marcus Rashford up front or you drop Harry Kane and play Marcus Rashford which isn't going to happen I don't think he has a position in the squad I in the match and was take off Sterling bring on Rashford yeah which changed absolutely nothing in the match it was complete it was like for like substitution which in a match like that was a complete useless substitution like I don't think Gareth Southgate did much for that match at all but I, I think, just think he that's got it all wrong and he just fortunately had better individual players to win an international match against Tunisia and got very lucky at the end yeah like I just we didn't even mention like that was a pretty good header by Harry Kane for the winner yeah, well, again, fortunate. Neck muscles. Yeah, again, fortunate. I read a tweet earlier, which is a fantastic tweet, which is for a player who Harry Kane is not a good runner. He's not quick. He's not very good technically. He scores so many goals. Yeah, no, that's always just been his thing. He's just a really because he's, he's really not, good he, at scoring goals. He, yeah, he's really he's not quick. He's very bad technically, as in. His touch can be awful, really woeful at times. His positioning can generally be awful as well. He doesn't really float around defenders and come from nowhere. He doesn't run diagonal lines a lot or anything like that. He kind of stands around until the ball comes into his zone, and then he activates. Like it's a very he's a, such a strange player. Yeah, I, I've I've heard uh, that uh, angle about Harry Kane brought up before. Like he's not spectacular at anything other than scoring goals, which is, I know, which is no very sense. important. It's just in this day and age where you have to be more of an all-around player. Yeah, you know, it's it's such a it's a strange strange thing to have. Even players who would be even considered modern poachers, it is. But modern poachers, the likes of Falcao or Aguero or someone like that, you know, players who are not known for 
much but scoring lots of goals they still have more about their game than Harry Kane does but Harry Kane just seems to keep on going and keep on scoring goals and now he has more World Cup goals than Wayne Rooney yeah he'd, uh, he'd level Wayne Rooney with 11 minutes of World Cup time exactly uh, well that'll do us for our England chat in part one uh, join us after the break for a quick look back on the first week of the World Cup so uh, we've seen everyone but Group H play. Uh, we kind of touched on some of the big big teams from earlier in the week, but uh, what have your general thoughts been about this World Cup so far? There's a lot of bad teams in the World Cup, and I say bad teams right after I said earlier that there's no bad teams in the World Cup, but there's a lot of teams... Which playing poorly. Playing poorly, or just not playing or bel- well. Or below their standard. Yeah. Saudi Arabia are bad. That's fair yeah. enough. They're a bad team. I don't necessarily believe that there's other as bad teams in it. Like everyone has their their strengths. They have to to get through qualifying to qualify to get to the World Cup. Like even Korea, as we saw today earlier, didn't produce a whole lot. It's not a vintage Korea, South Korea side, but they still, you know, were very solid technically, pass the ball well, stay compact on the ball and without the ball, and you know, did okay in the match, even though they lost and probably are out of the World Cup already. They were they were the weakest of the four teams in that group, but they weren't bad by any no. Means. They weren't like they weren't whipping boys, so to speak. And I don't. That's what I'm saying. I don't think there is even Panama. I don't think there's whipping boys in this tournament other than Saudi Arabia. Yeah, Saudi Arabia definitely are. Although Uruguay um, still probably only beat them one. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like we could still a lot could still happen in that group. Egypt are seem to be really struggling without Salah. Like he's likely to start tomorrow when he plays. He'll have to start. Yeah, as it turns out. Like it's a must, must win. They have to beat uh, Russia. They're out. Yeah, and it's it's you know Russia. If they build on the first match, they could you know I wouldn't make them favorites or any stretch of the imagination for the they tournament. Surprise you though. Yeah, but if they do that and like a surprise, they did surprise in the first match because which is you know, weird we, to say as a, as the host of the tournament. Yeah, the host nation, and they're not a terrible side. It's Russia. It's a huge country with a footballing heritage. They're just old. Yeah, well, they have some good young players in there as well. Those twins are decent, which I always forget their names. Golovin well. was quite good. He yeah. was exciting. You know, they have players that aren't terrible, but they surprised me because I expect them to beat Saudi Arabia, but I didn't expect them to destroy Saudi Arabia. I, I thought it would be 1-0 in a dull match. Yeah, I thought it would be something like that, like a comfortable enough 1-2-0 or two nil victory for Russia in the whole match. But then they, they broke away and they did it. And if they do that again... Because like Egypt, as we saw in, the, in their opening match, weren't as solid as we might have thought in defence. They they were liable, the gaps opened, you know, and they weren't closed very easily. And, you know, there's a lot of players who were kind of long seasons, like, and who were coming back from injury. We spoke about Salah already, but Mohamed Elneny was out with a bad enough injury for the last six weeks. Probably shouldn't be back playing football, but is. And their other big name players are kind of the same. And... You know, it's kind of happened for Egypt again that they've hit bad form right when it matters most in a tournament. Yeah, like it's disappointing as well. Like whenever that happens to a side, but I think with Mo Salah, it'll as long as he performs as he has done, it'll give them an, an added dimension. Yeah, he will stretch this Russian defense, it'll, which is by no the, means solid. Him starting would make the Russian match very interesting. He would. It would make it a lot more, a lot more on the line for both teams because it would. I think it would if. 
Salah doesn't start, I think Rush will be very confident going into this match. And I think that'll help their performance. But Wiley, if he but if he does start, I think the Russians could hark back to what we saw in Euro twenty sixteen, which was very poor in defence and an all right rest of the team. And that poor defence cost them dearly. Yeah, especially like against Mo Salah, any kind of yeah. poor defence, like he he should he will take, bounce it. He'll play, and yeah, he'll take the play a diagonal ball and he'll probably score because that's that's the form he's in at the moment. Yeah. Uh, but then the absolutely amazing match between Spain and Portugal, or should I say Spain and Ronaldo. Yeah. That was, that's st- obviously still a match of the tournament so far, despite Germany and Mexico's best efforts. It was just, no, it was, it nice was, it was two, the best match, yeah. It was nice to just see two big teams just throw everything at each other, uh, answer, like, answer every challenge that was put up to them, or at least Ronaldo answered all Portugal's challenges. Mm. But I, I think that match actually might be a sign of things to come for the knockout matches. Maybe with more uh, on the line in the knockout matches, it'll be tenser and it might be a bit no, more cagey, which I, is traditional. I think but you're I being think, very ambitious. <laughs> thinking that's still going to be a the trend. Champions League, the Champions League might uh, set the trend as well. Like The knockout stages in the Champions League traditionally were always a bit more cagier than, knockout, or than group matches. They're always, you know, they kind of petered out, especially like 10 years ago. You'd often see like low scoring aggregates but in the last couple of years we've seen high scoring matches teams who can't defend and teams who are also very good at attacking just yeah. scoring each other yeah but i think those things are not necessarily uh, the the correlation isn't the cause of it like in the champions league i think this season and the last couple of seasons really there's been a few anomalies that have kind of made you think that oh maybe this is really exciting like last year's champions league final or like the you know the the PSG Barcelona match or the PSG Real Madrid match where teams lose the run of themselves one way or the other like they they forget oh it doesn't matter anymore we'll just go all out attack because we're losing by so much anyway and then that either leads to them scoring a bunch of goals or them conceding even more goals and I don't think that trend will follow to the World Cup because I think there'll be a lot more there'll be a lot more awareness that this is a World Cup it's not just another Champions League season for one of the big European clubs to throw away this is much bigger than that. And I don't think... I think Spain were poor in that they don't have that defensive base that they used to have when they had Xabi Alonso or Marcus Senna alongside Sergio Busquets. Busquets is kind of not what he used to be either. He's past his best, you'd have to say. So he's just kind of loitering in there and he doesn't have that defensive cover he used to have, which leaves behind him two ageing centre-halves and Piquet and Ramos under pressure to like deal with the attack of the opposition. And I think on a couple of occasions, i.e. the counterattacks Portugal had during that match, they were found out. And that's kind of why Portugal scored. That Ronaldo's fantastic gamesmanship, his fantastic finishing for, for both the penalty and the free kick and his ability to like make David De Gea make a mistake somehow. Because he's Ronaldo. Because he's Ronaldo. I think other than that, Spain were very comfortable in the way you you're you see seeing spain and also the way that they've you know they they play was very controlled they had a lot of the ball they passed it around and then they were creating chances and if they had if spain had a david via kind of kind of more mobile striker i think they would have won that game a lot more comfortably and i think what you gain with diego costa and him being you see an absolute wrecking ball through defense Mussing people, the unsettling defenders, the Didier Drogba type of player. You lose a lot in really technique and guile that I don't think they really have in the squad. 
His first goal was so good, though, wasn't it? Like, it was just, it was pure Diego Costa. It was pure Diego Costa, but I think if you looked at the other chances Spain had created in that match, if they had a player like David Villa or like anyone, you know, like Dries Mertens, like someone who had a bit more creativity in the But at the end of the day, they scored three times. Do you think think with David Villa they would have scored four times? Yes. Or do you think they would have scored That's exactly my point. Because there was points where Iniesta or David Silva were creating really good chances for cutbacks, but Costa was, had run to the near post, attacking the ball as if a cross was going to come in, not as if a nicely well-worked passing movement was going to end with a lovely finish into the bottom corner. There, there think, seemed to be on different wavelengths of play. But I just think with Davide, they would have also just scored three times. Uh, we'll they never know. Have been three completely different goals. We'll never know. Ronaldo yeah, on the other side, and David De Gea, by the way, I told you what David Hay before the end of the season we were doing our season review saying that you were saying he was the best goalkeeper in the Premier League I stand by the fact that he had a mistake in him and I was proven right in I the first think, match uh, of the tournament I don't think one mistake for Spain just I said he was going he's to, the I, best goalkeeper I said he, in the Premier League I said he had a mistake in him and you'll see it in the World Cup yeah but like and I, there compared, we go. I compared that mistake to like Messi missing a penalty Messi, Messi then did he misses 57% of his penalties yeah, but actually, that's not true. He's missed uh, only 24% of his penalties. Well, 57 of his last like 20 penalties or something like that. He scored 76 or 77. Out of his, uh, like, he's missed 70... He's got a 77% success rate, which is average. Yeah, well, he does take a lot of penalties. It was a bad penalty, to be fair, as well. Yeah, it, it wasn't was. vintage. But <laughs> it like, wasn't a vintage penalty. The point it wasn't the worst. That... It wasn't as bad as the uh, Peruvian penalty... <laughs> Yeah, which like, was just unfortunate. And it was made bad. me feel bad for Peru. Poor, but poor like Peru. the point with Messi though is that like he's obviously the greatest player in the world, but he's not good at penalties. Like De Gea, like that's the mistake in his game. De Gea is obviously an amazing goalkeeper, but you know he makes one mistake. He's he gets highlighted. For a mistake. He's liable he makes, for a mistake. Yeah, but Hugo Lloris is liable for a mistake. David is, De Gea, yeah. David De Gea is better than than Hugo Lloris by a wide margin. I don't know. I think Hugo like, Lloris might be past his best, and that's why he seems worse than it. No, but Hugo Lloris is always liable for a mistake. Eh. Like, I think David De Gea has proven himself so many times that when he makes one mistake, it's pretty hard to go out there and say, oh, he's liable to a mistake because he made one mistake. Eh, whatever you say. We'll just finish it that Ronaldo is great and everything. He'll probably win another Ballon d'Or because he won the Champions League and he scored that hat-trick. Bars something messy doing, something amazing between now and the end of the year. Uh, but what do you think about Argentina against Iceland? Uh, Argentina-Iceland, it was... I expected Argentina to be so much better, and I don't know why. Why did you expect them to be better? I, I, I think just, they're exactly as I expect them to be. I, I think, think it was Iceland more I expected Iceland to be. Yeah, I think it was yeah. more. I, I thought Iceland would be worse, and it would be make it easier for Argentina. But, but no, Iceland I, continued I their form Argentina of just being solid. Of yeah, they did matching players, man for man, old school football, not letting them away from, the, not letting anybody away from anything, working extremely hard, and you know, eventually getting their due for for all that play and scoring a goal and then even you know it was very fortuitous in the end that Messi didn't just you know dink the ball into the back of the net and that would have been it and maybe Argentina would have gone on to a couple of more goals if I, if Iceland tried to attack again yeah but that's the thing that like credit to Iceland because when Sergio Aguero scored I just expected it to go two three four and that'd be it like but they yeah. had the mental toughness to come back 
and actually challenge. And obviously, Argentina are so poor defensively. Caballero is so bad in goals. Yeah. This is what but, we said before the tournament, that it would be up to Messi and the other attacking players to carry the rest of the team and to do enough to change things. Like... They're as you say, they're not good enough. They're they're really not good enough in defence. Otamendi, Rojo These players should not be in an Argentina squad. Caballero, as you said, you know, he doesn't play at his club. Yeah, for, right, for good reason, you know. He hasn't he's played good, he's good for a penalty shootout, but like that's it. Yeah, and even then is that why you want to bring a keeper with you? Like a yeah, keeper should be good yeah, for more again, than a penalty shootout. You shouldn't be bringing a goalkeeper because you expect him to be in a penalty shootout. He's liable for mistakes. His distribution isn't that great. And like we're not being too harsh in Caballero because he's not alone in this. Like the, the rest of the defence for the Argentina. Mascherano, like, I, I never thought he was a great player, but you know he clearly is at the end of his tether at this point. Like, and they have nobody to come in to replace him in the team. Yeah, he's in China. Like it's yeah, and then even like, he, further he's up the field, the end of his career. Yeah, he is. He's in that mode now. But further up the field, I was thinking about it after the match, and it was like they brought Higuain, and like Higuain is a loser. Yeah, like, no offense to the guy, but he's lost <laughs> Champions League final. He's lost Serie A from the you know brink of winning it with Napoli. He's lost World Cup finals when he had chances to win a World Cup final you know yeah yeah I get what you mean it just sounded a lot harsher no, but he's a loser like for all the tense of purposes yeah, he, no, he does yeah. screw it up like he's a Mario Gomez of, of strikers and Icardi they, does they missed Icardi yeah he's a bit different like I know he doesn't necessarily get on with the rest of the players and that's why he's been left out because of the whole but if stealing someone else's wife thing but if, if you stick the ball in the box, Icardi will find a way to get on the end of it. Exactly, score. and he's something different. And more. having Icardi in the team, along with him, someone like Paolo Divia playing off him, and then that gives you the ability to play Messi further back in the field. But they, they didn't giving, even bring on Dybala. Like, I know, but what would you do with Dybala? That's the thing. Like, Where would you bring him on? In the way that Sampali's play playing him, it. But in the way Sampali's set out the team, it's you can't. You, the only player you can bring off, bring off is Messi. Because otherwise, Zubala doesn't fit in that team. Sao Paulo, he, ha- he wants to play this high-pressing football. Fair enough. Change the formation you're using to play it. He, he is planning on changing the formation as far as I know for the second match. They are planning change. Play a diamond. He needs to play a diamond like wing-backs. Loving the diamond today. <laughs> well, like a diamond wing-backs and having Zubala and Higuain up front. They play like that at club level. Let them do it at international level. They have this like very seldom... Do international teams, especially the South American teams, have the fortunate situation where they have players who know each other that well at club level and play well at club yeah, level? Yeah, that is a huge asset. I because that's what wins. Like Italy won it in 2006 with a lot of players from Juventus. Um, Spain, uh, Barcelona, Spain, Barcelona Germany, Real Madrid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is what happens. These players get to know each other over time. Like the Brazil side 2002 even had a lot of players who have played each other, with each other for a long time either internationally or at club level. So they knew each other very well. And this is what wins your World Cups. And that's something, you know, Argentina have been lacking for a very long time. And just do it, Sampali. Like saying that Argentina, like Nigeria, weren't as good as I expect them to be. Like I expect them to perform much better against Croatia and they really didn't really show anything. Awobi was completely out of the match. But it is Croatia they play next though, so... Do you think that they can... I think Croatia, they're, Croatia. Like, they're, their camps needs to be in a bit of turmoil. 
Um, yeah, they've sent Nico Kalinic home. For not coming on as a sub, like if that happens, what else is going on in that squad? That manager isn't fancied by a lot of the players. A lot of the players are in trouble legally for other things. A lot of them are, as you said earlier, they're an age team. I think they did very well. They did better than I expected in their performance against Nigeria. Like Modric ran the show. Uh, yeah, they do still have good players. They do. They're fantastic. Like they're much better than maybe I was giving them credit for previously. Like Manzukic ran the channels very well. They, they're a solid team. They have good players in every single position. There's not a really a weak position in the team. So maybe I was giving them a little too less credit. But if Argentina actually click into gear and play a diamond with, say, if they had Messi at 10, uh, maybe Mascherano playing behind him, a defensive cover, a pick of whoever else you want in that diamond. Dybala like they should be and playing Aver as well. Yeah, like these are options they have and they haven't been utilising them. It's so bizarre. Like they, like they have, I, I feel like they need to beat Croatia. Oh, they have draw, to. They have a draw to. might not be good enough for them. Yeah, they have to. Because going into the, you do want to be going into the last match because not to get on to burst the Icelandic bubble, but I have to expect Nigeria. If Nigeria don't click against Iceland, and Iceland time that, you know, as we said, World Cup for Panama, same for Iceland, qualifying is as good as anything for Iceland. And they got into the group of death and that's hard to, harsh on them as well. But Nigeria, you know, they have ambitions to go a bit further in this tournament. They have ambitions to be one of the better African nations. They have a good, young, exciting team full of ingenuity. And they have to show something against Iceland, otherwise they're done. Yeah, I think it, like a team is getting knocked out of the World Cup in that match. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, but then Germany, we mentioned them as well. They lost to Mexico. Reigning champions, not enjoying a good time of it uh, last few World Cups. Well, this is something I want to tackle head on because from the get-go, I never expected Germany to retain their title. They have systemic issues. Their team is getting older. Yogi Lowe should have left at this point. They should have tried to, you know, they, I know they did well at the Confederations Cup and I bigged up the Confederations Cup that they did it with the second team. But then he decided to bring a lot of the first team from 2014 back again and he's continuing to play them. As we said previously, Thomas Muller, a guy who scored 10 goals in the World Cup already and this is only his third World Cup, isn't playing well at all and he didn't play well. He hasn't played well in four years really. Well, yeah, almost at this stage. So it's it's been a bad few years for him. They don't have a team of earners, very, very, uh, very athletic and very talented player, but he doesn't fit this necessary this system necessarily. He's not a replacement for Closer. No, they have no engine in midfield because Tony Cross and Mesedosa are as fast as a you know a car with four blown tires like they don't have any pace there at all and they're saddled with Sammy Kattir to protect the back four which isn't was which never he, which he was so bad at doing against Mexico like he yeah but he's always so been much. bad at doing that he was bad at yeah, doing it fair. during the World Cup like he missed like the, Germany looked better in the final when he didn't play like why was that surprising why didn't they bring Kramer back <laughs> yeah bring back Kramer just for the but they need a runner like they need a runner in midfield maybe bring up Kimmich to midfield that's what I would do in their situation for the second match, but I don't think the OE is going to change that dramatically. I think they'll coast through the rest of the group on it. Like saying that, like it is the first match. They've been bad. They've been bad for a while. It's still Germany. They're still going to get through because that's what they do. Yeah, if they were any other team, I'd probably yeah. think, okay, they're probably they're in trouble here. Like I think they're still in trouble. 
I don't think beating Sweden is 100% a guarantee. I did well, predict before the tournament that Sweden would beat them. I think this kind of changes things. But I still think that that match will be Seeing Sweden close. and Korea play today, I don't think... I think, think Sweden think... played exactly how I think they played. Yeah, like no team has really surprised me by the way they played, like other than, say... Being, other than being worse than expected. Yeah, for the most part. Like, I give a bit more credit to... Like, Mexico, I thought, were, they're a decent side. They've got a fair bit of World Cup experience in their squad at this stage. You know, they know how they're playing. And on another day, they could have actually destroyed Germany. Well, yeah, the chances were there. Like, you can like you can sell, tell Moy, Neuer isn't there yet. Oh, he's not 100%. Yeah, I thought but, he was poor on the goal as well. Yeah, but like Botang and uh, Hummels are very solid defensive partnership. And maybe... Hummels was so annoyed. He was, like, and rightfully so. They were left stranded multiple times. Look at the goal, for God's sake. You, you can see it. Like, it's just they had their arms out because there's, where's the rest of the team gone? Yeah, and it sounds like like his quote after the match was like along the lines of "I've mentioned our problems in behind the scenes, and no one's listening to me." Like that can't be good. Either. No, it can't. And that was what we were saying that like if, you know when Yogi Lowe stayed on after the last World Cup, and when he stayed on, especially after the it wasn't humiliation, but being knocked out of the Euros last time round when they weren't that it was good. A meek exit. Yeah, it was, and like maybe it was time to call it quits at that point bring in some fresh blood. But then, of course, he did so well at the Confederations Cup with the young players, which many of whom he did not bother bringing with him this time around, we might also add. You know, he didn't bring Leroy Sané. He didn't bring these young, exciting players who can do a bit more creatively, who might be able to finish off, rather than, you know, sick with the tried and trusted players who were, like, Tony Kroos was very, like, he was playing as an auxiliary left-back for a lot of this season when Marcel would run forward for Real Madrid. Like, he's gone a lot of miles for a player that doesn't move very quickly. Mesut has been out of sorts since he signed a new contract for Arsenal at the beginning of the year. Uh, Thomas Muller, as we said, has been out of it for years. You know, other players in the squad, Drax, are like, who knows what is, is in his mind for his future. And then a lot of the, like, the full-back is still an issue because... You know, Kimmich is very good, but is he a fullback, really? Yeah, at Bayern Munich, he is just because they have better players forward. But yeah, yeah maybe Germany so should be. He maybe he should be playing some more centrally and give that bit more defensive cover. You know, but I don't think Leroy Sané, like he's never performed for Germany. I don't think him playing would have been no, the difference. But I meant it was just more of a sign of them not. Yeah. Okay. introducing new ideas, not bringing things things forward the way that even you know. Yogi Lowe did do at times, he did do it in 2010, and he did do it to an extent in 2014 as well when he brought through Goats and he brought through you know, players that not, weren't necessarily fancied, like Andre Schürrle or you know, even Leo Potolsky. He brought through players who he trusted and who thought he could do a job for the team, and they invariably did. And uh, then Brazil drew one all with Switzerland, and Brazil, I, I kind of mentioned how I felt about them earlier, because like they were just... They were really good at the start of the match, and, I, and like yeah. I was thinking, oh man, these are this, this this is the best team I've seen. They're favorites for the tournament now, but then they just took the foot off the gas in a big way. Well, I don't know if they did take the like. That's something that I want to say in this. I don't think any of these teams have really taken their foot off the gas. I think the teams they played against have reacted, and this has taken these big teams for wow. I didn't know teams could react because yeah, maybe a lot true. of these players play for clubs who just win matches. And they're like, oh, no one, you know, we win matches, we go ahead and that's it. We'll, 
would coast it out or will power through, score another couple of goals. These teams aren't used to teams being ultra competitive and wanting to take something back from them. Like, as I agree with you, Brazil were phenomenal for the first while in that match. I was watching it as well and I was like, God, Brazil are very good at this. And I was watching them even in defence, how they would get so compact so quickly. They would play two centre-backs and two central midfielders would roll in front of each other, squashing all the space for the attacking players. And then the full-backs would close in in an almost pincer movement around them. And then suddenly Switzerland had nowhere to go under a lot of pressure and they'd lo- they end up losing the ball, giving it away, and another Brazil attack would start. But as the match went on, it just became, okay, Switzerland, we actually, if we hold the ball in our own half for a while, they're not going to come near us. Neymar's not going to press for the ball. Let's just play it on the right-hand side. And that's what they did. And they just played the ball yeah, around Neymar, built up little pockets of play, and then gradually attacked more into the game as the Brazilians tired. And it's because we got more frustrated. Like, I know we talked about officiating earlier to do with the referees not giving red cards, and the Brazilians complained that they weren't getting any challenges or not getting any awards in that game. But they got a lot of soft free kicks in that match. Yeah, I thought that as well. Like, Neymar was fouled were... 10 times, which is an astonishing. Like, once, it's more than once every 10 minutes, which is. No, for any player, it's quite a quite an achievement. But they were getting fouls constantly, and some of them are softer than others. You have to say, yeah, and like they're complaining about the goal that was given, even though I thought it was, it was a pretty the goal fair was goal. absolutely fine. The goal the guy did was jump. The Miranda was not strong enough in any way. Yeah, like I thought it was a bit like they had like that was at the start of the second half. Like they had another forty minutes to get a second yeah. goal. Like it was a bit and they didn't rich come close. Then. Yeah, like like. And, and Neymar, like I was so disappointed in Neymar because I don't he does, think he's fit. I I don't. I think he is fit. I think he's as fit I as he, he as is. as fit as he can be. I think Neymar is very much. He's gone beyond where he was even four years ago, where he is a talisman for the team, and he gets to do whatever he wants to do. Because there was points in that match where he was like, I was watching. It was like almost shouting at him to pass the ball. You saw Brazilian players overlapping. Marcelo's running through. You know, midfielders, Coutinho's there, his friend Coutinho's there, square him the ball, pass him the ball, and, and Neymar would just do a step over for no and reason. A part, of, and a part of that does come from the fact that he's spent a year at PSG now where he's absolutely allowed to do whatever, that, yeah. whatever he wants. Exactly. He's not, he's not like, I think Messi and Suarez got the best of him because they were equals. They'd square the ball to each other and score and pass the ball into the back of the net. And, and like you know, Neymar had such respect for them as well, which I don't think he respects anyone else in football, nearly. Like he, just, no. he was clearly in awe of Messi. Exactly. Well, right, rightly so. And even oh, Suarez yeah, had, had like probably his best season while, while playing alongside him as well. It's like They needed to do something to... like. I think almost if you were to rejig that team and Neymar was out of it, they might play better. They might play more controlled and they might be able to extend that 20 minute spell into a longer dominant display because they have the component components there. They have an excellent I just goalkeeper. don't know who scores the goals though. Gabriel Jesus. I don't think he's good enough to lead the line for for a Brazil Brazilian squad that wants to win the World Cup. Yeah, you you could like. There's there a reason he's not been playing for Man City. There's a reason. Like he was brought in, he started off well, and I thought that he'd immediately take over Maguero. But if Pep Guardiola wanted to be playing, he'd be playing. Him. Yeah, a reason he's, still, he's not playing. He's still young, and I think Spurs. I don't think he can yeah, never that, that, beat the line for well. Brazil. He is still young. Yeah. yeah, but I know what you're saying that you know he doesn't seem to produce it at a consistent level, and that's fair enough. But I think. This will never happen because they're never going to drop Neymar. He, the, the manager would be sad yeah, to the spot if you drop Neymar. It's 
there there is structural problems in that side and they all stem from that left hand side they stem from Neymar they stem from not defending from Marcelo being the classic thing of being far too far upward on the left hand side and you can't do that when you have Neymar on the same side as you you're just going to get punished and you know Steiner was on that right hand side he conducted it very well when he got subbed off he told the guy that came on for him exactly what to do he told him do this and do this and play the ball through it and they played little you saw it every time they play one two pass Neymar Neymar wouldn't track back and then Marcelo would be out of position because he would have played too far forward and they did the thing that every team did against Real Madrid this season play balls over that over towards Marcelo's area of the pitch which would do one of two things either beat Marcelo because he's out of position or make Marcelo stay back further which would harm the whole Brazilian attack because Neymar tends not to pass to a huge amount of his teammates. Marcel is one like, of the players he will pass to. Yeah, and then like I just obviously a draw then is the last thing Brazil really want because uh, like they will get out of the group, but now they gotta have to work for it. They will, and they could well like we could see a big clash in the second round. You know what's what's the potential meetups? Uh, Potent- potential clash there is Germany and Brazil. Yeah, and neither a repeat of the semi final would be very unlikely. But Brazil wants some revenge, and then we're going to have a big we're going to have a big hitter out in the last sixteen. And we could also have uh, France Portugal, not France Portugal, France Argentina. Yeah, so that's two big hitters. It would gone. really open up the tournament, you know. And that, you know that might actually be quite you know, exciting. Uh, you know, yeah, it's good to get those in. matches in there because, as we said before, as we get on in the tournament, things become more and more pragmatic. Things become a lot edgier. Teams don't want to give anything away, and we end up, you know, going closer to penalty shootouts every time. And the and earlier fair, we get, these I do big want teams, to see penalty shootouts. We do, we do. Granted, we do. But the earlier we get these big teams playing each other the more they'll go for it because they'll want, they think they can win. They'll back themselves. Exactly. Like Portugal playing Netherlands in 2006 was a great last 16 match. <laughs> yeah, not many people survived that one. No, though. but it was great. Like whatever while the football that was played, it was a fantastic spectacle. And we, we could well expect that again from Brazil, Germany, a very different match to the 7-1. I would fully the battle expect. Of, uh, the Battle of Luzhniki or mm. whatever. I can't pronounce any Russian words. Luzhniki's close enough. Yeah, uh, so, like, the second round, I think there is a lot to look forward to. Obviously, Group H still have to play as well, and God knows what's going to happen there because it's so yeah. open. Yeah, who knows? I think it's a lucky dip between the four sides. Japan, probably the weakest team in there. But yeah, Japan, I think, won't go through, but the other three could easily go through. Yeah, any of them really could. And the way the tournament's gone so far, you wouldn't back against any of them going through. And Yeah, it's been an exciting uh, first week. or Well, it's not even been a week, it's only been five days. But, yeah, it uh, felt like a week already. Uh, yeah, I've watched so much football. It's uh, like I've even missed a few of the matches, and it's still like a lot of football. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm not complaining. Uh, it's been fantastic for the most part. In me, I'm overjoyed so far. Yeah, and uh, I think we'll close out the show now with that. Uh, you know, if you have any thoughts on what's happened in the first five days, uh, email us at the tfpod at gmail dot com. Uh, follow us on social media at the tfpod on Twitter and Total Football Pod on Instagram and uh, rate and review the show on your podcast provider of choice Uh, tell family and friends about the show I'm sure everyone's uh, getting excited about the World Cup and people want to get some extra coverage on that uh, we'll be here for you tell us Uh, what you really think about England yeah exactly let us know were we completely wrong or we completely right uh, yeah and if you have any you know uh, moments in the World Cup that uh, you think hasn't gotten a lot of coverage and you kind of enjoy it actually I had one of those that I don't think I mentioned was a did you see this when Isco hit the crossbar in the Spain-Portugal No, match? what, what? 
the Isco had a long range shot. It was kind of similar to Nacho's that he scored, but yeah. uh, he hit the crossbar and it bounced down and bounced out. And I think Rudy Patricio caught it and just play, uh, game played on. But Isco then ran up to the referee and like did the square animation at him oh, yeah. with his hand, and like the referee just laughed at him because <laughs> Isco Isco obviously uh, in Spain they don't have goal line technology, so he forgot it existed. Oh, because <laughs> the ref just pointed at his watch and was just laughing at him. It's like no, silly, silly uh, Isco. <laughs> yeah. So that was my kind of uh, underrated moment of the World Cup so far. No, I don't really have any other than Liam Brady on uh, the RT news coverage there today before the England match. Wax lyrical about England, how great the preparation was, how wonderful Southgate has done at tempering expectations, how the players seem to be a bunch of nice guys who get on together, who play darts and do all this. And, you know, everything is great about England and they're playing a different kind of football and they'll get knocked out in the quarterfinals. <laughs> Just simple as that. He's like, he's like bigging them up. He's like, do you think they're going to win? Do you think they're going to win, Liam? And like, no, no, they're going to get knocked out in two matches. <laughs> he was so matter that, of fact that, with it, and everyone yeah, just accepted. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. There, Brady. Yeah, uh, I haven't really caught much of RT's coverage, despite watching all the matches on there that I have watched. Yeah, I just have missed all their like pre-match, post-match, halftime analysis. You have to get a bit of Peter Drury in there as well, you know. You have to, you have to. Peter Drury, I did catch one match uh, via Peter Peter Drury, and he was in fine form. Well, he always is, like a fine yeah. wine, is Peter yeah. Drury. And uh, so that will do us for the show. Uh, I'll be back again tomorrow with the daily diaries, looking back over the three matches that uh, happened tomorrow: Group H and Russia against Saudi, or Russia against Egypt. And uh, that'll that'll do us for now. So uh, thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Declan. And uh, thank you for listening.